0: Welcome back to Humans of Speedway, and in this episode I speak to somebody who, once again, has devoted their entire life, really, to Speedway. Helen Charlesworth is a writer and an author. She's contributed to a couple of programmes, particularly at Plymouth and at Newcastle. She's also an author. She's written a couple of Speedway novels, one of which features Jason Doyle in a time-travelling epic. We'll hear more about that fairly soon. As we head towards Halloween at the time of producing this particular episode, how about an actual Speedway ghost story? More details about that to come as well. And, of course, Helen chooses her Speedway paradise too, all-time 1-7 to seven at the all-time location, and it's definitely a battle of the Speedway eras. Pudding bowl helmets versus the latest technology. Who will win? Uprights versus laydowns. Uh, we'll hear that battle in full between now and the end. But it gives me great pleasure to welcome to Humans of Speedway, Helen Charlesworth.
1: Thank you for inviting me on your show, and It's a pleasure to talk to you.
0: So let's let's talk about your um, history in, in Speedway then because everybody starts somewhere and gets involved in the sport somehow. So how did you come to, to end up in the wonderful world of Speedway in the first place?
1: i first went to speedway at newcastlesborough park in the summer of 1976. i'd just had my 11th birthday so i was old enough to go i had been begging to go since i think the year before newcastle opened up in 1975. there'd been a a few years gap you know but they'd obviously run since 1929. i wasn't around then of course but um i'd been into bikes for years when i was seven i used to go out on the back of my dad's motorbike and um I think when they opened in 1975, my friend Susan at school, she went with her dad, and I was so envious. I'd seen it on um, World of Sport, I think the programme was, and I'd read about it in the newspapers, and I begged and begged to be able to go. So, like I see, I'd just turned 11, and my parents let my sister take me to the speedway, and it was the most exciting thing I'd ever done up to that point in my life. You know, it was just... I went in the stadium, it was huge, loads of people, and then when the bike started and the noise, and you know when you know you've fallen in love? Oh, yeah. That's how I felt. I really did, it was just this, this over-excitement. It's like, this is wonderful, this is what I've been dreaming of, it was just what I thought it would be.
0: And it's, it's not so much as well, the, just purely the excitement of the racing, it's the whole atmosphere that you find that you get consumed by, did you find that as oh. well?
1: Yeah, well, I remember when I first used to go, um, there's a metal fence at Newcastle that you have to stand behind, and there's the Greyhound truck, then the truck. I remember I kept finding myself on the wrong side of this metal fence. I don't know how. I think I must have been sitting on it, and I'd climb over one of these, like, marshal guys who go around and keep telling us to get back to the other side. <laughs> and, you know, you just so saw... I must have been trying to get closer and closer to the track without realising it.
0: You went along for the first time and obviously that wasn't the last time you went because, you, as you say, you were consumed by it and um, you kept uh, getting drawn back week after week.
1: Yeah, I, I think that first meeting I went to was Crayford. I don't know when they closed, crikey. Wow. Yeah, it was Crayford Kestrels and um, I wore a shirt with a heart with Joe on. Joe Owen, he was my hero at the time. I remember I got a Joe Owen rosette that night and I was allowed to go for the rest of the summer holidays. But wow. then when we went back to school, I wasn't allowed to go because it was a Monday night, school night. Yeah. Um, and then I started going again regularly the following season. And I remember I didn't miss a home meeting right through about uh, 1983.
0: Obviously, you've got a, a Newcastle accent, and um, and you went to Newcastle when you first started getting involved in Speedway. But now we speak to you, and you're based down on the south coast, and but you found Speedway down there as well. Now, tell us about um, about the Plymouth setup, then, because it is a long way to go for people uh, in the far north. People like myself, I think the longest uh, away trip in uh, in football, and probably in Speedway as well, would be the trip from from Newcastle uh, down to Plymouth. I think that's the furthest you can go. In, in sporting fixtures. So you have pretty much gone as far as you can, but what what is it like down there and, and, and how are things uh, on the speedway scene?
1: Uh, Plymouth's got a great track. It's small and I think sometimes when people come and look at it, they think, wow, it's tiny. I know that was my first impression of it, but it's got some fantastic racing. There's lots of passing and a lot of riders who come here see that they really love the Plymouth track. I think like you say, the only problem is it's so far away. And um, with the weekend tourism travel in the holiday season, you know, in the summer, it can make that journey down the M5 and A38 quite horrendous at times. Um, Mark Phillips, the promoter, and his team of helpers have done an amazing amount of work on the stadium over the past few seasons. And they've really transformed it because, you know, when it started, it was just a track in a field. That's all we had. But this year he's put a lot of work into it, and such a shame people haven't been there to see it. We've we've had two meetings this season, um, but he's put in a new home straight stand with seating. He's put lighting in for the uh, where the spectator area is. You know, a hell of a lot has gone towards improving the spectator experience. Um, And in Plymouth, we've got quite a large Polish community. Put a barbecue into the stadium. So that might encourage a few more Polish people to come bring along
0: a few friends. When we talk about obviously not being able to go to meetings, some meetings uh, have been happening and um, at the time of recording will be happening as well, increasingly, as people uh, get used to how to do live streaming, which is uh, probably one of the good things, I think, to come out of uh, 2020 as far as Speedway is concerned and people thinking about how they're going to do that. And um, Plymouth are one of the clubs that have gone down that route.
1: Yeah, Plymouth's first meeting this season a couple of weeks ago. It was because there was only you know they were only allowed four hundred people in. A lot more people wanted to go. It was a three team tournament between Plymouth, Isle of Wight, and Eastbourne. So you've had fans from three clubs uh, wanting to attend, and because the limit was four hundred, the guys from the speedway chat show. I don't know if you've heard of that. It's Jerry Sims, Shane Childs, and they had Andy Hague on camera. Uh, yeah, they live streamed the meeting, and it was fantastic. I couldn't actually go to the meeting. I was away on holiday that week—the one week I've had on holiday all year—and it was the week of that meeting, so I watched it from a tent in Cornwall. But the, the live stream was absolutely brilliant. Yeah, and it's 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 good, you know that. I don't know how many people signed up to it, but all those people couldn't get to the meeting. Yes, it's, it's a great thing, this live streaming. I hope Hopefully it'll happen more often because there's a lot of people who live too far away from a truck to get to. You know, they've got other commitments that like they can't go and I'm sure they'd happily pay.
0: Yeah, I think the concern uh, in some quarters perhaps is the fact that if you do live streaming, people will... Uh, stay at home, and they won't turn up to the to to the um stadium, but I don't think that is the actual mm-hmm. case. I think all you're doing is you're giving speedway to people who can't go. You're not replacing people who otherwise would go with with them deciding to stay at home
1: yeah, because there's nothing beats actually being there exactly is it you know it's it, it's still brilliant but it's not as good but you know as the live action but yeah because there are people who they just can't go for whatever reason. And if maybe some of that live streaming money went back into the club, then they'll still benefit from it.
0: You've been involved with both Plymouth and Newcastle in a couple of ways, but you, you've been involved in, in with their programmes because uh, you are a writer. And I know that you write about all sorts of things, which we'll, we'll touch on in a moment. But you, you as far as Speedway is concerned, you, you've been involved in, in, in writing... Um, Programs, articles for programs, columns, and uh, and all sorts of stuff?
1: Yeah, uh, it started off back in 2015. Um, my friend Roy Clark, up in Newcastle, he um, contacted me and said, Would I write a one off column for the Match Day magazine? They were looking for fans to write, you know, maybe something about a meeting that they've been to, a favourite rider, just something to do with Speedway. So I said, Yeah, okay, then I'll, I'll do it. We did a one off. And then a week later, I was asked if I would do it every week. (laughs) So I said, oh, well, okay then. But then it sort of rolled on the next season. It was, oh, can you do it again? Can you do it again? And it went went from a column it went to a whole page. And their magazine's quite big as well. And also a whole page was quite quite a lot to to think of something interesting every week. But actually, I I found it quite easy. Yeah? Yeah, because I was um, looking up about speedway in the past that's how it got into my books actually you know reading about the old days pre-worn whatever and i was finding some absolutely fantastic articles i might like, people want to know this so I, I was writing those about maybe write about a meeting that i'd been to just some funny story around speedway but i think like after a couple of years it was starting to run a bit thin like oh what 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 stories can i find now but anyway then um i think it was 2018 I offered to help Plymouth with the programme. So, started out again, do you know the same thing, writing a story? And then the following season, I ended up writing all the articles. So, I was writing the stories, um, like the awaiting team, uh, quizzes, interviews, word searches. So, it, it just sort of slowly started to snowball where I took on, started with a column, and I ended up writing a programme each week.
0: Yeah, that's kind of um, media in general. You, you start off helping out, and before you know it, you're running the joint. It's, mm. That's just that's kind of how how it works, I think. Um, but um, yeah, and because you you um, are a bit of a sort of a historian uh, as well, or with, certainly with a with an interest in history, aren't you? So obviously that would mm. naturally appeal to you uh, merging the two.
1: Mm, yeah, but I had to sort of sometimes think, oh, I need to write about something a little bit more up to date because I could get so involved in you know researching things from the past and think not everybody wants to know these stories yet.
0: yeah so, so what are what are some of the notable stories that that spring to mind then that um that you've that you've written in in these programs
1: i think the ones that i have probably enjoyed writing most of probably in the, the pre-war stories you know when speedway was so glamorous it was bigger than football and i remember writing one about um entertainment like halftime halftime what do you call it? Interval Entertainment, sorry. And um, Johnny Hoskins up at Newcastle, he would get the riders out to sing. And um, Newcastle had a Canadian rider called Eric Chitty, and he'd get Eric to come out and sing to the fans. It was called a ditty from Chitty. So that would be the Interval Entertainment. Um, And there was um, an American rider called Puck Mossman he was a speedway rider but he was also a stunt motorcyclist and he put on shows so he would come to tracks i know he came to plymouth he'd take part in the meeting and then after the meeting he'd um bring out his entourage that he had with him i think it involved his sister who drove some sort of car i don't know what she did but he would put a ladder on the back of the bike and he'd ride around the track climbing from one side of the ladder to the other, <laughs> while steering it with his feet and juggling balls. You know? <laughs> and he jumped through burning hoops and just these other crazy antics. And, you know, they, I remember as a kid, they'd be like end of season jinx. Yes. But you wouldn't have things like that. Uh, one of the strangest stories I've ever come across, and this is actual fact, I know, people are thinking, Oh, it's it's been passed on and you know people have changed it or whatever but they haven't this was in the newspaper at the time Um, there was a rider called Roy Reeves he was from Plymouth but he rode for Exeter and on the 21st of September he was riding up at Leicester's Melbourne Road Stadium and he was involved in a crash where he suffered a fatal head injury 48 hours after the accident it was the night before the inquest he's Wife, along with a friend and his two mechanics, they visited the stadium. And you know, it was dark, it was probably about eight, nine o'clock, around about the time of night that he died. And as they were walking around the track and got to the spot where Roy had met with his accident, they saw him standing in front of them. No. Yeah, he was smiling at them and he was dressed in his leathers, had his crash helmet and whatever on. And his wife, Dorothy, and this Cyril chap, they like, they stopped. Like, they'd seen him and then from behind of them they heard a cry and it was one of the mechanics. He was leaning on the um, safety fence sobbing. He'd seen him as well and then Roy spoke to his wife and told her he wanted to wear one of his medals. He wanted her mother to wear another medal and for his favourite to be buried with him. The other guys there hadn't heard him speaking because of so so much shock but his friend Cyril said he could see the mouth moving but he couldn't hear what Roy said. It was, you know, just his mouth. And they were just in absolute shock. They went back to where they were staying. And the following day at the inquest, one of the mechanics couldn't attend. He was so ill, he, could, he couldn't even get out of bed at what he, because of what he'd seen. Um, apparently, Roy Reeves had been very much into spiritualism and had often spoken about it to his friends. And I actually believe he did communicate one final time with them. Wow. Yeah. And it, it was in the newspapers within you know a few days of it happening. It's not a story that's been passed down and little bits added for effect. They, they did see him. Um, right. I've, I've actually visited his grave. He's buried with his mother in St. George's churchyard in Modbury, Devon, just about 15 miles away from here.
0: Blimey, a Speedway ghost story. I, yeah. didn't, I didn't expect that.
1: No, you'd think it would be one of those stories that people would have known about, you know, yeah. because it, it's something like that is quite phenomenal.
0: But, well, yeah. I'm keeping that for Halloween. Oh. He used to get them to all sorts of stuff, though, in, in those days. I know we did that episode with Peter Oakes, and he was talking about, back at Liverpool, uh, a rider coming out uh, with with rockets on the back of his bike and things like that, and things were definitely different back then, weren't they?
1: Um, Johnny Hoskins was one for putting entertainment on, he'd have riders racing against uh, greyhounds, and they'd have cheetah racing. And the last meeting of 1939, he said that the following week, he was going to have George Pepper with cheetahs chasing him around the track. <laughs> But it didn't happen because war broke out.
0: Phew, thank goodness for that.
1: Yeah.
0: I think that's probably the first time I've ever thought there was a good job war broke out. <laughs> <laughs> Saved by World War Two, otherwise mm. we're going to have uh, Speedway writers as eaten by cheaters as a half-time entertainer. I know, can you
1: imagine it Them, They're penned in their cages <laughs> in the pits waiting to go out.
0: <laughs> <laughs> Just like the Romans used to do. I mean, it's mm. been done before. <laughs> fantastic, okay. fantastic stuff and, and and when it comes to writing uh, you've done well, you've, you've written all sorts of different things but you have written some books on Speedway as well and two of yours in particular Dirt Tracks and Shrapnel Scars and Speedway Boys and the Skid Kids I mean, what sort of books are these and, and what uh, was your inspiration behind them?
1: I wrote books that I wanted to read um, I've, I read a lot of books on Speedway but most of them, you know, they're either autobiographies, biographies, or facts and figures. And I really wanted to read a story. So why not write one yourself? And I also, because I like um, history, time travel, a whole lot of it, bagging it together. So these stories are about two teenage boys, Joel Armstrong and Will Roberts, and they both share a love of Speedway, but it's in different eras. Uh So in the first book, well, in both of them, Jason Doyle is Joel's all-time Speedway hero, Okay. But when, but when he mentions this to Will, Will said he'd never heard of Jason. His favourite rider was Cordy Milne and he first watched Speedway in 1936, so oh, yeah. the story basically is Joel had gone to spend a week's summer holidays with his grandparents in Plymouth while his grandfather was doing some renovations, he came across a small glass lens, likely from an old-fashioned pair of wire frame spectacles. And this lens becomes Joel's portal to the past, sorry, his key to the portal to the past. Um, his grand sends him off to deliver something to a friend in the next street, but that is also part of the portal, so every time he goes to this house, he goes through the portal, but of course when he goes through, he's not meeting the lady he's supposed to. He goes through and he meets this boy, Will. It's Will's house in the 1940s. And at first he thinks this whole 1940s thing's a big hoax, but soon realises that when he sees the Luftwaffe bomb damage for himself and gets caught up in the Blitz, that this is real. And he begins to make regular visits to the past.
0: So he is visiting a friend, but they don't realise that he's going yeah. back in time to meet him. Yeah. yeah.
1: So, um, prior to his visits to the past, Joe's always been a bit of a dreamer. He's always imagined himself with Jason Doyle, you know, the really good buddies. Yeah. they travelling to away meetings, he's helping him out in the pits. And even when he's in Water and Plymouth, he still day- daydreams about Jason a lot.
0: Okay, and, and, and uh, d- is uh, is Jason Doyle aware that he, uh, he, f- he features as a character in, in one of the only Speedway novels that, that certainly I know of?
1: Yes, he does. He does? <laughs> yes, Jason is aware. And also a few other writers play key roles in it.
0: Oh, okay. Who else is in it then?
1: Well, we've got some from the past. Yeah. Um, George Pepper, Bluey Wilkinson. Are, but I've had Adam Roynan and Tim Webster and Matty Bates all give me permission to have them play themselves in the book.
0: Wow. Okay. Yeah.
1: So they are characters and they're aware. They've got the books. They They know that they're in there. Yeah, a few of the writers get minor starring roles. Ben Morley, Nikki Pedersen. It's not a book about name dropping. There's no, a specific no, no. reason that they're in there. They're in there for a reason, you
0: know. Yeah, I, I was just, I was just wondering if, you know, if if they were aware that they're in it, and that, and obviously they mm. are. So, um, and and what was their reaction when you when you asked, um, you know, Adam Roynan and uh, and Jason Doyle and the like, if 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 they minded having their names in in the book.
1: Well, Jason, I didn't tell him till just before I was going to publish it, but I said, if you, if you don't want to be in, you know, then I'll change it. But I didn't hear back, so I'm presuming he's quite happy with it. <laughs> okay. And I know he's he's retweeted things, you know, that mention the book, so he's obviously happy with it. Okay, um, yeah. He's a wonderful character in it. He is the hero. Okay. Um, Adam, great. Yeah, Adam, Tim, Matty, brilliant. Yeah, they, I think they're quite honoured to be in it.
0: Yeah, it's, you know, it's an unusual thing to, to be part of, I suppose, isn't it as well? And uh, oh. a bit of uh, immortality for them in, uh, in literature.
1: Oh, definitely.
0: Okay, and, and these books are available now. Let's, let's get on to the Seamus plug section, uh, because uh, if people want to read your, your Speedway novels, um, how do they get hold of them?
1: Um, they're both available, as are my other books on Amazon, and you can buy them as a paperback or as a download, and as a download you don't have to have a Kindle, it can be to a mobile phone a computer whatever.
0: Okay, and if you just search out Helen Charlesworth uh, on, uh, yeah. on Amazon, all your books should probably come up I would think, yeah?
1: Yeah, they will too, yeah.
0: You're listening to Humans of Speedway. I'm Ian Brannan. My guest in this episode is Helen Charlesworth, a lifelong Speedway fan, uh, but also a Speedway writer as well. She's written two novels She's you're just talking about there, one which features... Jason Doyle and Adam Roynan, uh, among other riders, uh, a time-travelling Speedway epic uh, and also written for many programmes as well. And in, in your course of doing that, you've done many great interviews. In fact, I might put you in charge of getting guests for this podcast because um, the big Emil Saifutinoff exclusive.
1: <laughs> yeah, that, that was really lucky. Um, I'd always been a fan of Emil since he came on to this speedway scene well obviously been on the speedway scene a lot longer but when we became aware of him I think it was probably about 2009 um i contacted emil uh, not long after russia had become speedway of nations world champions and despite really hectic racing schedule that week he got back to me within 24 hours and he said yeah go ahead send over the questions um, and I know that week he was racing in Poland. I think he had a Grand Prix at the end of the week, and then he was back in Poland. So, you know, I didn't even expect an answer really, never mind so quick. But I sent over the questions, and again, within 24 hours, he'd emailed back all his responses. Brilliant. Wow. Absolutely lovely guy to deal with. Very genuine, very open and honest. Yeah, what a gentleman.
0: I know that um, fan clubs are a, a very big thing. Um, it used to be a bit, maybe a bigger thing in, in certainly the eighties and seventies and, and stuff. Uh, maybe they're not quite so much now, but I guess we have um, groups and social media that act in that same space now. But um, you have been a member of a number of fan clubs. Um, I was in a few fan clubs as well. I mean, I was in the Weetabix fan club. Um, I've also, one for a few speedway rides as well, as we'll discuss. I mean, what are your memories of, of speedway fan clubs in particular?
1: I joined quite a few fan clubs when I was a kid. Um, <laughs> and I think a lot of it was because it was the only way you got to know about what was going on at other tracks. Other than the Speedway Star or the Speedway Mail, or maybe the odd item in the newspaper, you didn't really know what would be going on. Whereas today, everything's online, isn't it? So um, I think the first fan club I joined was Joe Owen. He was my hero. And Robbie Blackadder, another Newcastle rider. Um, I also was a member of Kenny Carters, Les Collins, he was at Bellevue, Dave Allen at Boston and Rob Wuffenden at Scunthorpe. I've got an interesting story about Rob Wuffenden actually. Um, When I was was 17, um, I went down to Scunthorpe to watch them take on Newcastle. And I must have let his fan club secretary, Julie, know that I was coming down. Anyway, at the interval, Rob came on to the centre green and then the next thing, I heard my name called out over the tannoy and it said to go to the start gate. Oh my. I wondered what was happening next. Why had I been called to the start gate? Why was Rob on the centre green? What had happened? Julie, the fan club secretary, had arranged for me to present Rob with a new bike cover paid for by his fan club. Oh, I was so embarrassed wow i was really shy <laughs> and i remember going on to the center green handing it over rob gave me a kiss on the cheek and then the truck photographer took a photograph of this but i just went back off into the crowd i never saw the photo anyway we move on to 2006 uh, robin Seward brought ty over to the uk to have a He's try his hand at the Speedway and see if it was worth making a career out of it. Yeah. But we know it was. And
0: probably, probably was in the end, yeah.
1: Yeah. <laughs> anyway, this particular evening, I was in the pits at uh, Plymouth, was standing back of the van, and Rob was opposite me. He was loading up Ty's van. And I just thought, I can't let this opportunity pass. You know, I've got to speak to him because I'm not shy. Now, as I was a when I was younger. Anyway, I told him about being a fan of his and his Stags and Potters Day. And we got chatting about his fan club, and I mentioned that when I was 17 whilst visiting Scunthorpe as a Newcastle Diamonds fan, how Julie had arranged for me to present him with a bike cover. And a few weeks later, Scunthorpe were at Plymouth again, and again I got chatting to Rob, and um, he, sa- he said he thought about what I'd said the last time he'd seen me, and he remembered it. Wow. <laughs> yeah, and he said his mum had still had that photograph of us together. So I've never seen it, but it's probably out there somewhere, yeah.
0: And we talk more about uh, Rob Woffenden and um, a bit more detail with uh, his former mechanic, in fact, Neil Machin, um, he used to be the um, promoter at Sheffield, of course, but uh, he was big pals with uh, Rob Woffenden. You can hear that in a previous episode we did, I think episode four, um, where he talks about um, spending time with Rob Woffenden, going around tracks and, and being his Spanner Man. Uh, another rider that you did know pretty well personally was Kenny Carter. Now, Kenny Carter's legend obviously tarnished by what happened at the end and obviously we're not not. to ignore that uh, or indeed condone it Um, but prior to that he was one of the most talked about exciting riders that uh, britain had produced in in a long time undoubtedly would have been world champion and uh, a rider that you got to know quite well
1: yeah that's right i mean a lot of people maybe avoid the subject of talking about kenny because of that but we have to look at the person before my personal experience of kenny was like he really appreciated his fans especially the younger ones, I think he was really good with kids. I remember the first time I went up to him got his autograph and I said, oh, can you put to Helen on it? And then I think after about the second or third time of asking him, he remembered my name and he'd always put on to Helen, Kenny Carter. And he, he, we weren't just these faces, little kids queuing up for autographs, where sometimes I think with some writers, you all you know, they, just, they don't even look at you, they sign it and they would hand it back to kids.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: But with him, he appreciated us just as much as we love to watch him race um yeah he moved on to Halifax full time the following year but in our hearts he was always a diamond he was always all Kenny
0: he was always a duke no <laughs> well
1: I'll tell you more he was always a he was always a diamond and <laughs> it's you know, so back then I, I didn't really like know Kenny to chat to but it was to up and get autographs and whatever and he was really He was really nice to his kids. I remember a meeting towards the end of the 1981 season, so that was just after Bruce Pennell had won the world title at Wembley, and him and Kenny had been invited to Newcastle to take part in three match races against each other. So as well as the main meeting, you had Kenny and Bruce in these separate one-off races. Kenny won the first one, and then Bruce took the win in the next two races. And then at the interval, I think there was maybe a collection or something being held. And Bruce and Kenny came out into the crowd and they were mobbed. They were absolutely mobbed. And they, you know, talking on a microphone and everything to the fans. That was fantastic. That was a really good night. Um, And Kenny, like I say, he was always a diamond. He came up to support Supporters Club events a couple of times. I think he once came up for quiz night and another time to one of the discos. Um, I think it was about 1983 when he came up to one of the discos because he had Pam with him. And I remember she said that, that her mum was babysitting Kelly Marie for them. But what I distinctly remember about is when Kenny came in, his eyes were eagerly looking everywhere wanted to see who he recognized it wasn't like he was then look at me look who i am it was like he was looking around to see who he knew Mm. and there was something about kenny i think that it was as if he never really felt kenny carter was good enough really kenny carter didn't yeah there was something about that he what do you think when he was in the world finals you know, he was always one of these, oh, he could be world champion. He finished fifth. Yeah. And like he, he would say, who remembers who finishes second? But he finished fifth. That's just way down. And I think he really thrived on needing to be wanted, but also to please.
0: Being such a huge fan of Kenny's though, how did you feel on that day in May 1986, when the news came out that Kenny had not only his own life but the life of his wife Pamela as well. Um, Obviously a a huge tragedy, a shock for a lot of people because it made the national news, but particularly for, I imagine, someone like yourself who was so very close to to Kenny as a fan.
1: Shocked. I mean, we we all knew Kenny had problems, emotional problems. It was just awful. It was hard to believe. I think it took a long time for everybody to digest. And then you're looking back, well, could he have been helped more? What could the people around him have done? I don't know. It's just awful. I don't think it's something that anybody will ever really understand.
0: This is Humans of Speedway. I'm Ian Brannan. My guest is um, Speedway writer, lifelong fan, historian and, well, lots more besides, including an author of uh, novels involving Speedway, Helen Charlesworth. Uh, Right now, though, we're going to call on Helen's experience of Speedway to see if we can design her dream meeting in our Speedway Paradise feature. So uh, what we'll do is we'll ask you the first question, Helen, and if you're going to design your dream meeting, which track? Would you be racing it on?
1: You lately like this, seeing mm-hmm. Halifax? Yes, come mm-hmm. on, yeah, definitely Halifax track. Magic memories of there. I love the place. I loved it, should I say?
0: Yeah, I mean, and we'll it's... have the
1: smell of coal in the air as well.
0: Yes, it was, yes. and and. I mean, you know, we're sort of talking beyond the um, this uh, particular question, I guess, here now. But, you know, it was it, for people who never went to the Shea, it, it, Halifax is a very rugged location uh, in terms of I always remember the, you know, the hillsides surrounding mm. it, you know, it had these sort of yeah. moors kind of around the the, the top of, of Halifax that you could always see and then the the stadium down in, in the town in, in a valley and you know it's, it's sort of in quite an imposing location really.
1: There was something very earthy about it. I love the place and like I said that smell of coal that would hang in the air. Yeah. I remember that. Maybe it was because it was a sort of a heavy night so maybe it drew it in but yeah, that was so. Yeah, my track definitely
0: Halifax. Halifax, big banked corners. I suppose mm. the nearest thing now, and something like Berwick, I suppose, would be a similar yeah. kind of track, wouldn't it? But yeah, they've got big banking. Yeah, Um the stadium that you'd put that track in. Then, if you could have any, based on the facilities, the stands, the anything else that you sort of uh, uh, really uh, care to uh, include. I mean, which stadium would we would we put the Shays track in?
1: got to put it in Wembley with its twin towers. Oh yes. Big yes. stadium, capacity crowd.
0: Because Wembley's track was very flat, wasn't it? You know, the track they did have in there when I they did can't do speedway. Remember. I think it was fairly I, flat. I went
1: for the 81 world final, but I don't remember a lot about it to be honest.
0: Yeah, well, yeah that's, that's what people say, you know, people say about the, the 81 World Final being a, a terrific World Final, but then you ask oh. them what they can remember for it and, and yeah, not, not, not actually much. that much. <laughs> I remember
1: at the end taking off my Tommy Knudsen rosette because I'd wanted Tommy to win and he didn't. I am not have taken that off. <laughs> that's probably, actually, talking about Wembley, I, I was telling one of my friends a few years back, Keith, about the meeting and he went, I was with you and i <laughs> were you? He said, yeah, I was standing next to you and your sister. Didn't even remember that. Right. <laughs> That's how much you remember about okay.
0: <laughs> that, mem- that, that memorable meeting, 1981, yeah. what happened? Nobody knows. Something to do with yeah. Bruce Pennell. Um, mm. Okay, let's move on to the team then. Uh, you're one to seven. Now, this can be any rider from any era, alive or not, no points limits. It's um, blank canvas. So um, I'll leave it over to you then, Helen. Who's Who's going to be first?
1: Right. Well, what I've done, I've chosen riders from different eras. Okay. And but- I'd like to imagine the fan base in the stadium to be a mixture of the same different decades too. When air horns, wooden rattles, pot pie hats, woolly bobble hats, anoraks, and team colours. Excellent. Badges, patches, wolf sport jacket. So, <laughs> right. so it might. So you can you can picture now the sort of team I'm going to have. Okay. And it's uprights versus laydowns, Leather, Leathers versus Kevlar's.
0: Well, look, right. Speedway hears about this.
1: Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> right. My number one is Bluey Wilkinson. Bluey was a 1938 world champion. He actually won the meeting where, with a broken collarbone. He'd broken it, um, I think, the night before. And he got a doctor to plaster his arm and shoulder to hold it in place. And he went out and raced through the pain barrier to get the win um in the first ever world final in 1936 he was third and he missed out on the 37 championship altogether because he had a broken wrist so you can you know tell what sort of rider he was i mean,
0: that's very interesting because we we've had people before sort of do teams full of of world champions but they've always been sort of what you probably class as modern era Riders, Mm. I mean, forgetting the fact that maybe, you know, we have had world champions going back to to pre war, you know, it's. um, Yeah, yeah. Yeah,
1: the the first one was 1936. Wow, okay. But we never got to find out how good Bluey could really be because he retired in 1939. He was only about 27. He took on the role of promoter at Sheffield and then he was sadly killed in a, a street motorcycle accident in 1940 back in Australia.
0: I never knew that. So have a history lesson for us all as well. Oh. So Bluey Wilkinson, then first out.
1: Yeah.
0: and do
1: you know why he was called Bluey? I would.
0: Come I would hasten to. Uh, I would hasten to guess. Uh, I'll leave it to you. What's that? Because he
1: had red hair. Oh. It's an Australian thing. Right. Oh.
0: Well, at least it's only that yeah (laughs) Uh, okay (laughs) who's at number two then
1: number two my childhood hero joe owen yes joe owen had the best leathers ever and i'm really surprised nobody's tried to replicate them there were his 76 77 era ones black and white checkered shoulders stars on the legs
0: yeah yeah Classic. We've, we, I did a poll actually um, a couple of weeks ago on social media about who who would you like to appear on this podcast? Uh, and um, oh, Joe the, Owen. There was Definitely. a there was a lot a lot of people saying Joe Owen. Mm. Yeah.
1: I just, whenever I hear his name mentioned or I see a picture of him, oh, it just gives me that lovely warm feeling. Oh, you know, that's back nice. then, He was my abs- absolute hero. Brilliant. It was it's a shame that his career. It was cruelly cut short, wasn't it? Yeah. Track crash in eighty five. Yeah. Absolutely awful. Well, let's see if we can track him guy. down. Though. Yeah. Oh yes, <clears throat> definitely. Right, number three. Mm hmm. Simon Wig.
0: Ah, uh, you see, when you said Wolf Sport Jackets, I I, I did think Simon Wig. Oh, did you?
1: <laughs> 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 he was a brilliant all round motorcyclist, very colourful character. You know, he'd really wheelie, uh, wheelies over the uh, finish line, and um, he won a multitude of speedway and long track, grass track trophies. Amazing, amazing guy.
0: Yeah, again another personality of the sport, and a, you know a nice guy with it. I'm, I remember him for for riding at Bradford. Uh, obviously, he rode for for a number of clubs, but I remember him riding at Bradford, and you know he was oh. just. Uh, it uh, he, he was just such a nice kind of approachable personality. We, you know, when you were stood at the pits as a youngster getting autographs and stuff, he was mm. again another one of those who would always uh, come over and have his photo taken or give you the yeah. autograph, no problems. You know, it was all smiles.
1: He's like Mr. Sunshine, I think.
0: Yeah, so yeah. So I
1: would see him and you know- the bright, bright green leathers. But he was, he was Mr. Sunshine. He was blonde hair, big teeth, just yeah. Lovely, sunny character.
0: You'd always see his van outside the Chinese afterwards. <laughs> oh, is he? <laughs> Bradford, yeah, <laughs> on the way oh. home. Okay, so Simon Wig in the team. Absolutely great uh, great addition. Um, who's next?
1: Number four is Jason Doyle.
0: Ah, yes, the time traveller.
1: Got to have him in, yeah. As, <laughs> as well as being the hero in my Speedway books, he's also a rider I've watched regularly riding at Plymouth because when we were in um, the Premier League, we were regularly riding against Somerset or we'd go up there. So, um, yeah, I saw him numerous times. But I've got a little story about Jason. He probably doesn't want this one to be on. Oh, I. Go on then. Um, the first ever meeting he rode at Plymouth, this was back in 2006, and it was an interleague challenge between the Isle of Wight Islanders, as they were then called, and Plymouth. Plymouth were in the conference league, they were Premier. Jason was the lowest point scorer of the night. Oh. He scored nil points. Oh, dear. Oh, he just had the most awful meeting. He, he, um, I can't remember the full details now, but I think he got excluded, fell off, possibly had engine failure. He was just really, really unlucky that night. And <clears throat> I remember him standing down near the pit gate having a rant with somebody. I think he would got excluded. But, yeah, that really was a bad meeting for him. And I'm sorry, Jason. (laughs) really am.
0: (laughs) Not one for the record (laughs) books.
1: No. You know, it's strange to think because even back when he was riding Premier level, you never looked at him as being a future world champion, did you? He was a very good rider, but domestic league. What happened to make the Jason Doyle, who was just a very good league rider, become this... World champion, this rider who's you know still is a player at the top. I'd love to know what it was that defining moment in his life that made him push that bit further.
0: Uh, okay, so Jason Doyle is in the team. Um, we've got a few more left. Who else are we? Uh, are you going to put in your all-time team?
1: Number five has got to be the Russian rocket Emil Safrutinov.
0: Ah, uh, yes. Well, yeah, you, uh, you've spoken about your like for uh, mm. for Emil.
1: Yeah everybody who's met him says how lovely he is and you know, he goes around shaking everybody's hand he's just such a nice guy and I, um he did say to me that the russian federation just never helped him they would never helped him at all
0: and right. i thought it was
1: really sad you know how far he's got without the russians backing him and supporting him it's an amazing absolutely amazing he doesn't live there he, he lives in bizcoch now
0: oh, okay in, in poland, poland. Mm. yeah
1: I think he said he went back occasionally to see his mum and his brothers. His brother rode for a while. Uh but his brother runs a car detailing business back in Russia.
0: So that's uh, Emil Saifudinov You've got you got a couple more left. Um uh-huh. who uh, who would you add to your your all time line up then for this?
1: Number six, I think, got to have Ty Wuffenden, Yeah. Three times world champion. And when he was sixteen, people would go, "Oh, he's going to be a future world champion, and they've said that about lots of people, but you know he he did three times, and maybe, maybe more, more. yeah knows? maybe yeah. more, yeah,
0: even uh-huh. this year, who knows yet um yeah. but yeah just,
1: just sorry, just a shame that he doesn't ride in the u k anymore and i you know he makes you wonder, will he ever
0: yeah i i i guess um we'll 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 see uh, in the fullness of time i suppose oh. um on on how oh, how things um pan out on that front, but um yeah, hopefully they come back. Well, look,
1: at Jason Doyle and Nicky Pedersen were going to write here
0: this year, weren't they? Yeah, yeah. And so,
1: yeah, maybe Ty can be enticed back.
0: And Jay, uh, Jason Crump as well, of course, who uh, yeah. is back here. But uh, I think it looks like most of those teams are going to be uh, ready for next year as well. That's got to be good news. So we will mm. hopefully get to see them uh, eventually. And one last place left then. Who is it going to be?
1: Right, my number seven goes to George Pepper. You've never heard of him, man, have you?
0: No, but you did mention him, I think, earlier.
1: I did. He was the 1939 captain of the Newcastle Diamonds. He was a Canadian. He's in my book. But what also made me choose him is because during the Second World War, he didn't go back to Canada like a lot of riders did. They went back home. He stayed. He joined the RAF. He was a pilot. And he was an air race. George Pepper's brother came over with him from Canada. Jim, his kid brother Jim, and he acted as his mechanic. And in the winter of nineteen thirty-nine, what the plans had been was that they would both uh, play ice hockey for Edinburgh, because they played ice hockey back in America, um, sorry, in Canada. But when war broke out, instead of because all sports stopped, they both joined the um, RAF. Um, George Pepper was killed in a training accident in 1942, November 1942. He took a plane up for a test flight with two other guys on board and they were all killed. It crashed to the ground, went up in flames. And then a year later, his kid brother uh, Jim was killed. He'd been on a sortie over Berlin. They were flying back and the plane got hit and it crash-landed. Uh, similar island
0: just off Holland, and I'm I'm reading here as well that he was a, a you know a, a very accomplished motorcyclist in general, uh, George Pepper, because he also won the Canadian Championship 200 mile road race uh, in 1936 as well, which was around the um, city streets of uh, of Ontario. So he was like a a road racer that, that crossed over into speedway.
1: Yeah, it was Belleville, Ontario. That's the town that he comes from. Uh, yeah, he won the road race there, and the townsfolk put the money together to get him to sail over to Liverpool and then over to the Isle of Man to take part in a TT race in uh, 1937.
0: Wow, so it was a, it was a well-known, you know, um, motorcycle star, really, of the era.
1: Yeah, he's in the Hall of Fame there. Yeah. Um, I, I actually spoke to his family last year, we set up a um, like a conference call thing and I, I was hoping to speak to his son but um, his son had had a flood in his house that day and couldn't make it. But I got to speak to Jamie Pepper, his nephew or great nephew and a couple of the other family which was lovely because I was sharing them with them the stories that I'd found out about George and they were giving me the stories, it was lovely.
0: Yeah, really interesting. Nice bit of history in uh, in this episode as well. Um, so that's um, that's your team then, cracking team from all eras, and uh, you know with pudding basing helmets versus um, things that are a little bit more up to date. Oh. <laughs> so we'd have to see who'd win that one. Um, when it comes to referee for your dream meeting, then which referee oh. would you choose?
1: Fast Frank, Frank Ebden very good at getting through meetings quickly. <laughs> he, won't, he won't put up with them faffing about.
0: Well, yeah. yeah. Um, was it the Shane Parker episode? Um, Shane Parker said Frank Hebden would be the would be the, would be the referee not doing it. Oh really? His...
1: <laughs> <laughs> well, Shane Parker's not my lineup, is he? <laughs> <So> <laughs> no, he hasn't got anything to worry
0: about. Yeah, I think I think Shane likes a bit more time uh, over his oh. uh, over his meetings. I see. But yeah, fast Frank, notorious for getting meetings done. And one rule, then, you would change while we're on the subject of, of referees. If you could have a tamper with the rule book, what would you fiddle with?
1: Stop constantly changing the rules. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. um, I think to do the start and gate, you know, these false starts and restarts that, that can drag a meeting on and you lose interest. That maybe bringing a laser across the start line. So it would show if a rider, if they're all lined up, the laser would show if somebody has moved. That's
0: yes. what I bring in a laser. Yes, a laser.
1: Not Star Wars type yeah. thing.
0: Yeah,
1: like, red, <laughs> red laser
0: light. Like a massive lightsaber across it. And if, yeah. you, if you go over, your, your wheel just vanishes. It melts. Yeah. That, yeah, That'll keep them still. Yeah, Yeah,
1: we'll have one that melts the wheels.
0: <laughs> okay, oh. zero tolerance. Um, Darth Vader as the start marshal, perhaps. I mean, that would do it. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> And uh, a team from any time in history, any league in the world to be the opposition for your dream team. Now, I I suspect you might be considering somebody from uh, or or a team from from years past. I don't know, but I'll leave it over to you then. Which which complete team would you have as the opposition?
1: I'm going to surprise you a little bit here Mm
0: -hmm.
1: and I'm going to go just down the road a bit to Pool. I am going to have the Pool 2013 team. Okay,
0: that's a relatively new one. I'm surprised. I thought you'd oh. be going back to you know 19 whatever, yeah, but uh, <laughs> yeah. yeah.
1: Okay. Well, you know that year in their lineup they had Darcy Board, uh, Magic Janowski, Greg Hancock, Chris Holder, Josh Grzesnek, Ron Tungate. Yeah. Brilliant, brilliant lineup. So yeah, that's my team, and I think it'd be pretty competitive.
0: I think so. Two, yeah. two
1: different teams, yeah.
0: Absolutely. Back to the Turbo Twins era. Mm, yeah.
1: <laughs> yeah, that would be wonderful.
0: Well, we can only wonder who would win that meeting. And, and while we do that, uh, we will say um, uh, thank you very much for joining us, uh, Helen. It's been great speaking with you. And, and if anybody wants to get hold of any of your books, uh, of course, Helen Charlesworth, look you up on uh, on Amazon and um, they can see all the things that you've written about Speedway as well.
1: And thank you very much, Ian, for having me on You're sure It's been brilliant to speak to you.
0: My thanks then to Helen Charlesworth guest on this episode of Humans of Speedway. Don't forget you can check out the previous episodes if you're a new subscriber. There's plenty more to get your ears round including chats with Nigel Pearson. Uh, We've also got uh, Shane Parker in there Phil Morris, the race director of the Speedway Grand Prix and the Speedway of Nations. Uh, He's all uh, featured in a previous episode. And don't forget you can look us up on social media too. Give us a follow on Twitter. We are at SpeedwayHumans and on Facebook just search out humans of speedway and coming soon another episode we've got some great shows lined up for you and we'll speak to you very soon here on humans of speedway